Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here at Canterbury. If you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, checking out our YouTube channel for the very first time, listening to it on our podcast or through our website, thanks for checking us out. We pray that as you consider the things that we've sung about, as we've been reminded of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, as you've heard the kids' story, as we come to this time, as we open God's word, that Jesus will continue to reveal himself to you and draw you to himself. Our church family, we pray that you will continue to grow in the love of Christ in this very season. I want to thank you for your gospel partnership in this season through your prayers and the way that you've been caring and loving one another and the way that you've been supporting God's gospel ministry uh, through Canterbury Gardens. Uh, This morning we begin a new preaching series. Uh, Here at this church we believe that the Bible is more than just a book. We believe it is the very words of God revealed to us. What's the purpose of the Bible? The, the Bible has been written to, to reveal who God is. And that's what we've been exploring in the book of Ezra. Now we come to unpack a letter by the name of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we, we know that this letter was written because it is a real letter. It's not made up. It's a historical letter. Actually, the Bible has people from different backgrounds and journeys and even various stages in history, ultimately revealing God and who he is and God's plan of salvation fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be unpacking uh, 1 Thessalonians. Now, when I say unpacking, today is like a summary of the letter. Uh, To, in a sense, get our hearts ready to consider Uh, to think about the big idea of this book that is 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Or, as my uh, Greek brother-in-law would say, is Thessaloniki. If you are someone of Greek descent, I apologize to you for that terrible, terrible uh, attempt. What I want to do this morning, as I was sharing, is to get us to consider the big picture of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, This letter is written by the Apostle Paul, a guy who has written a significant part of the New Testament, Uh, He was a church planner, a leader. He was a pastor, a teacher. Um, And what we have in front of us, even though it's something that was written many, many, many years ago, because it's God's word, it's actually relevant for us today. So a couple of housekeeping things. Firstly, uh, you, if you're in a small group at Canterbury Gardens Community Church, you, church sorry, you most probably would have seen that your small group leader would have sent a link or a, or a suggestion for you to consider to, um, checking out a small group study guide that we're encouraging all our small groups to use. It's a 1 Thessalonians study guide. It's up here on the screen for you to look at what it looks like. The reason why I'm showing that to you as well is that there may be some of you who are not part of a small group currently. If you want to dig deeper into 1 Thessalonians, this is a great way to do that. And we would encourage you to to, um, purchase that maybe online or actually there's even an e-copy that you can get your hands on. The second thing is to read, memorize, uh, to listen, to share and consider the truths of what 1 Thessalonians says. And I would also invite you to actually read both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians together. It takes about 10, 15 minutes for you to actually listen to it if you have an audio Bible. I invite you to do that and really kind of sink your teeth into this wonderful letter. The other thing is obviously pray. 
Please do pray for us who are uh, teaching this series. Pray for uh, myself, Cameron, uh, Mike Jones as we prepare these sermons. Pray also for the very small group leaders who are leading these uh, wonderful small groups and that they too will be encouraged and equipped. Pray for one another. Pray for us as a church family that God would use 1 Thessalonians and our church life to draw us even more further in in the knowledge of who God is in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. And you see every single heart and soul and mind and will. Would you change us this morning through your word? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convert hearts, convict, encourage, admonish, point us back constantly to our great saviour. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through Christ Jesus for his glory alone. Amen. Well, friends, um, we come into this moment as we unpack one Thessalonians to give you a bit of an overview of this wonderful letter. Um, as I've been thinking and pondering about this big picture of one Thessalonians, the thing that has come to mind or has really stuck out to me is that whether we realize this or not, whether if it's you or whether if it's me, all of us in some way, shape or form are living to please something or someone else. Actually, in this very season in history, our lives are formed by it, isn't it? I mean, the very social media platforms that you have, when you press that like button, whether if it's something that you've liked yourself or whether if it's something you've posted and you've liked it or whether if you've asked someone else to like it or someone to put those little emojis of whether if they care or if there's anger or whatever it might be, or as the term is called, for the gram, as we post things on social media, another way what we're doing in those moments is we voice our thoughts, our pictures, our memes, What we're doing is, hey, in this moment, as I do this, would you like what I'm doing? Can I share with you this thing so that in some sense, I'm living a life to get you to appreciate me? Now, maybe that's probably a bit far-fetched. Maybe another way to look at it is, maybe in our workplace, we do live lives to please others. In our workplace, our customers, our clients, our boss, our superior um, uh, supervisor, should I say, not superior. Whether if it's because we're doing it out of legitimate reasons, we want to be the best employee as possible, or whether it might be because we are wanting their approval. So we live to please them. Maybe if it's in our home life where we reorientate our own desires, our wishes, our hopes, our savings, sacrifice much in the order to please our kids or grandkids. Or for that one person, that person that you really admire and you desire for them to like you and appreciate you back, whether that's for romantic reasons or not, we change our lives to please them. There may be some of us sitting there thinking, well, Shabira, I don't live to please others. Maybe that's true, 
Maybe perhaps you're living to please yourself. And you know what? I'm guilty of that too. Here's the thing. We're all wired in some way, shape or form to live lives to please something or someone else. This beautiful letter written by the Apostle Paul is an encouraging letter. It's filled with so much hope and encouragement. He's writing to a church community of believers. He's encouraging them to live lives, definitely to live lives that are pleasing, but not to themselves, but to live lives to please God. And that is, he's pushing them not to look within oneself, but rather to look out, to look up, to please God. Now, the story of the Thessalonian church did not begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It began in Acts chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, if you could turn there, that'd be really great. I'm just going to read Acts 17 verses 1 to 9. Here is God's word. Now, when they had passed through Apophilosius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, King Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. <laughs> Talk about a dramatic way to start a church. I mean, there is tension, there is uh, great um, joy of revival happening in uh, the lives of people. Here is Paul, he's preaching the gospel in the synagogue. He, he does what he normally does whenever he goes into a town. He wants to unpack the truth of who Jesus is with the Jewish people in particular. And he, he, he reveals to them through scripture, I believe, that Jesus had to die. And in saying so, he's also saying that Jesus is the Messiah. This was God's plan of salvation. Now, some are persuaded. Some respond in great joy. And those people include devout Greeks. Particularly, another way to say it is they were God-fearers. These were people who were non-Jews, who worshipped the God of Israel, and in some cases they might have even kept the Mosaic law or some aspects of it. Amongst them were also prominent women. Now that's an important point because these women would be, as some historians say, were people who funded a lot of Paul's missionary work. As in most cases in the New Testament, particularly in the story of Acts, not everyone are fans. In particular, those of the Jewish people there in that moment, the particularly most probably leaders, they don't accept the message that Paul is proclaiming, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
that Jesus actually had to be crucified. The thought of the Messiah being crucified, that doesn't make sense. That can't be right. And so I think because this is Paul's uh, second missionary journey, the reputation has gone ahead of him. And this is why they say that this group of people, Paul and Silas and this missionary team, are turning the world upside down. Now, that sounds amazing and awesome, but actually in this context, it's not good news. Most probably saying they're causing political issues and problems, and you see that in the verses, I think. But what's driving all of this, what's driving all of this is not lives that are living to please God, but it's actually lives that have been consumed by jealousy. And so they respond. They respond because people are responding to the good news of the gospel, and to them, they're following Paul. They're, to them, they're following this new Jesus, this Messiah, and they can't stand for it. So they go after him. They go after Paul and his missionary team. They arrive to Jason's house, who's one of the people there who respond to the gospel. And, and historians say that this house, in a sense, is this first house church that started up. But they can't find them. So they grab Jason and his brothers and they take them to court. The charge is a political charge. The men are saying, hey, these group of guys are proclaiming that there's this other king. His name is Jesus. In other words, they're not saying Caesar is, uh, is the king. So that's a pretty serious um, um, accusation there in that context and in that time. And so Jason is, and his brothers are held and they have to pay their way out in the sense that they had to pay for their bail, for release. And so they, they pay. Now... Friends, all of this is here for a purpose and reason. This is a, a wonderful reminder that if we're going to be living lives, lives that will please God, we need to be prepared for disruption in our lives. Disruption will come. A life living to please God will bring disruption. God will bring disruption into our lives and also in the place around us. And as much as we love that people respond and we should praise God for that, and particularly the way that God um, moved in the hearts who would become key leaders, who go on to be leaders for that church and also would end up funding Paul's mission work. But there's also opposition. See, a life that lives to please God will face opposition. That is the story of the Bible over and over again. And these historical points in Acts 17 are also a reminder these are true stories. These are not made-up things. These events actually happened. These people have existed. This place is even there to today if you want to check it out. These are real people, real events. To show throughout the story of the Bible, when lives live to please God, they will face opposition but they're there also for examples for us to grow and learn from. So now we come to the first few verses in 1 Thessalonians 1. If you have a Bible, please look there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, 
He had to escape and he heads off. And I wonder after he arrives to the next section and, and he's sitting there and thinking to himself, I wonder how they're going. How is that church traveling along? How? And now remember, this is before, you know, Zoom calls. This is before YouTube channels and YouTube streaming. This is before emails. This is before group chats. So he sends uh, Timothy out to find out. Timothy comes back and the report is really good. It's actually quite encouraging. This young church that Paul had started and planted, now he wants to encourage them. He hears good reports about them and he wants to write. And he's most probably in another place called Corinth. And he's addressing the Thessalonians. And the first chapter, um, it really kind of sets the scene, but then it also gives us a sense of how Paul's going to write. It's a scope that stretches from eternity past in the first few verses of Thessalonians 1 and then focuses on eternity future. This is a really encouraging letter, friends. It's there to encourage the Christians then, and it's also there to encourage you and I today. What it means to live lives that are so shaped by and driven to live lives to please God. And Paul's writing to them to encourage them to keep looking to God, to live lives pleasing to God in faith, in hope, and in love. Over the coming weeks, we want to unpack what all of this means in depth. But the question I have for you and for me today is this. Who are we living to please in 2020, today, in this season? I mean, the very author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, was so captured by the good news of Jesus that it totally reshaped everything of his life. And his whole life was focused on living to please God because of the good news of the gospel, even to the point of risking his life for the sake of the gospel. For the church in Thessalonica, those believers that Paul is writing to, they were so captured and shaped by the good news of Jesus, it totally reorientated their lives. Their whole lives now are designed and desiring to to live lives to please God. As one author who put it about, uh, who commentated on 1 Thessalonians, who put it this way, it was a church that was transformed and marked by an unshakable faith, an overflowing of love and sensational hope. Church, this is what it means to live a life pleasing God. And so the question for you and I, who are we living to please this morning? Friends, the motivation for why they were doing this, the motivation for Paul himself, this lives that were marked by faith, love and hope, is because of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel. It is the very power, the power of God for salvation, that shapes both the individuals then and the churches of that time. And that should be also true for us today. And brothers and sisters, if it does, wow. As one author put it, the gospel is not A to B, but it's A to Z. It is everything that shapes all of our lives. It is the very engine room that causes our hearts and desires to change, to live lives that please God.
So what do we do? What does that mean, maybe even today? Well, friends, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, whether you realize this or not, your living life, your life is being lived out to please something or someone else. What is that? I don't know, but there may be something right now you know automatically. My dear friend, I want you to know that kind of life will only lead you to a life that has no faith, that does not find true love, and no hope. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you this morning, and I want you to journey with us as we unpack 1 Thessalonians. In your own lounge room or as you're going for a walk, it's the best time to explore who Jesus is. And we would invite you to do that with us this morning and in the coming weeks. Our church family, we as the church leadership are praying this for you and for me and for us as a church as a whole. That the Lord, our great Savior, will grow in us a further genuine love for one another as we follow the one who has gone before us. The one who was 100% committed to living a life here on earth fully desiring to please his father. The one who promises that he will return. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our call for us today. I mean, for the Thessalonian church, they knew that Jesus would return. And in a sense, they waited and, and they'll be unpacking of what that looked like for some of them. But we too are waiting, are we not? Are we not? Are we not waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? And you know what? In this season of life, maybe that's what God is using, this very pandemic, to cause us to consider the things that are of great priority to us, things that we thought were priorities. And I've been reshaped. I don't know about you, where we're living and thinking about eternal things, that eternity is coming, that Jesus is returning. Maybe in this season, the Lord is trying to grab our attention. So you and I are waiting too for the return of Christ. As we wait, the call is then not to look within ourselves or to look around us and the noise around us and the very culture around us, but looking to the one who is to come. The one whose whole life, as I said, was marked to live perfectly for the pleasing of his father. The one who promises he will return. And until then, those of us who call ourselves disciples are called to live lives marked with faith, with love, with hope, and the one who is to come. As we wait, we are to grow in our love for one another. As we wait, we are to live lives according to the holy calling God, God has called us to. As we wait, we are to live lives that are grateful, prayerful, and expectant, of Jesus' return. This, friends, is a life living to please God. A life that looks up to the one who has conquered 
sin and death, the one who is seated on the right hand of the Father, the one who rules and reigns, the one who says that he will return. And so we wait. But we live lives of love, of faith and hope. And friends, if you're thinking, well, what does that look like, Shabu? Well, come on a journey with us as we explore 1 Thessalonians over the coming weeks. Church family, one of the great joys in this season has been that many of you are, um, are stepping out in faith to love and serve one another. But the other thing as well has been a great joy in seeing some of the way God is stirring some of you to write and consider and be creative. As someone who's part of our church family, uh, I asked a little while to look at 1 Thessalonians and maybe write some sort of poem based on it. Well, we're going to have a listen to that as we finish today. Children of the Light by Bethany Leake Child of light, though your soul is weary and paper thin, step outside, awaken to the sight of another dawn transforming the shadow puppets of night. Don't crawl back to the dark. Day has come and there is work to be done. Though we mourn our separation, we are not alone. We are all held, all imitators of the one who tells us that joy is not the antithesis of suffering and there is hope on the horizon. So look up, children of light. Look up and let the love of Christ overflow to close the distance between us. May our holiness be a witness to those around us that there is a God in heaven. Look up, we will see him. See Jesus, our Lord, there above the clouds. See him with all the saints and us among them. Until then, children of the light, look up. We will be together again.